Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Now, I want to start off with a little engagement, so I'd love for you to talk back to me. Uh, let me. Let me ask you this. What are some basic needs that we have as people to survive? Water, food, shelter, clothing, love. Okay, interesting. We're going to come back to that. Thank you for reading my notes ahead of time. Let's keep going. Employment, right? Yeah, you guys are naming it, right? Let's throw, let's show it up there. Tower, food and water, shelter, sleep. No one says sleep. Um, you should some point in your life. Some of you, you have infants. You're like, what? Como se dice sleep? I mean, what, what is that? Uh, safety. Knowledge is actually listed as a basic need. Got to know some things. Even achievement to feel like you're making a difference, like you're doing something with your life are all listed as basic needs. And as Rosa already pointed out, love is in fact a basic need for survival. It is a actual need that you and I have. We need to be loved. You may or may not be familiar with many science studies that show infants that are touched, that are held, that are cared for, that are nurtured, that are loved, and their development in contrast with those that do not get those same loving needs met. From as early as an infant... There is, I found this so interesting as I was studying. There is a hormone in our body called oxytocin. You're familiar with this? This is just cool. Like you, This is why you should believe in God. God made your body. It's just so cool. So there's this hormone, right? The, the hormone that we all know about is adrenaline. Come on, coffee. We, we know that one. But there, there's, there's more in there besides adrenaline. Oxytocin is called the love hormone. It is actually released in our bodies whenever we get that sensation of being cared for warm hug, a smile, a social interaction that that warm, we call it the warm fuzzy feeling. Well, that's literally a hormone that's being released in our body called oxytocin. And I read that and I thought, wow, the creator who made you, made you to need to be loved. You need love. You need it. And as we are kind of at this stage in our lives, we've got students, we've got young adults, we've got all different ages in this room. At every age and stage, we need love. And what tends to happen as we advance in years, as we go through life, as we get some life experience, is we can easily become a little more cynical and jaded to this truth of I need love. There are obstacles to us receiving love. Some of the obstacles I wrote down is trust issues. <laughs> Been there, done that. Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> that whole thing. I don't even know how it goes, but you, you said it. <laughs> shame on me for not knowing what I was saying. <laughs> right? It's just, just I'm not going to put myself out there again. I'm not trying that again. I've, I've done that. You got trust issues, some real hurts. I, I wrote this one fear of vulnerability. There's a genuine fear. If I let that person in, sure, I might experience love, but at the same time, to be vulnerable, I might experience pain. 
I might be hurt. Unresolved trauma. All of us in this room have some level of trauma that we're dealing with. Some hurt, some pain, some issue from our childhood, from our family of origin, from our adult years, we've got trauma. And when it's unresolved, we don't do the hard work of getting on the healing path, that can be an obstacle to love. Now, I wanna suggest to you, and I know I, this is gonna be hard for you to buy in with at the start. I wanna suggest that the hardest obstacle for you being loved is you. You are the heart. It's easy to blame others. Well, they did this to me. They hurt me. I don't trust them. My parents, this, I, I know it's gonna be hard. I wanna show you. The hardest person, the, the, op, the biggest obstacle for you to be loved is actually you. And it's because of this number one reason why people struggle to be loved. Low self-esteem. In fact, Read this with me, it'll be on the screen. Low self-esteem, individuals with low self-esteem may struggle to believe that they are worthy of love, making it challenging to accept affection from others. So what does that mean? The way you view you could actually be an obstacle for you to receive love. What you think of you could be a challenge for you to receive love. Here's what you know about you. You know everything about you. Here's what you don't know about the person sitting next to you. Not that much. So you know everything about you. You don't know that much about the person sitting next to you. And you're here today thinking, well, it's easy for them to have their hands up and sing and worship and be loved because you know all about you, but you know nothing about them. And we come into spaces like this, knowing our stories, knowing our past, knowing our hurts, knowing our present challenges, and we wrongly assume that we're undeserving of love. Specifically, the love of the Father. God's love. Because after all, if you know all about you, why would he love you? Why would you love me, God? Look at what I've done with my life. Look at the choices I've made. Look at what I'm doing right now. There's no way that you would love me. And if I can for the next 19 minutes and 15 seconds, do my best. And some people laugh because they're like, ain't no way he's only preaching for another 19 minutes, bro. Add 10 minutes to that timer. I will. If I could spend time with you right now in God's word to just show you one thing. You are loved by God. You are loved by him. There's a reason why this morning, the songs that we are singing, I'm more than enough. I'm already chosen, I'm already loved. We're trying to get this truth in our lives because this truth will change our lives. So I wanna show you through some unpopular Christmas text why you should believe that you are in fact loved by God and God can use you for great things. So in this greeting card series, we're talking about these different words. Last week, we talked about the word hope and we discovered that Christmas means God keeps his promises. Today, the word is love and we're gonna discover Christmas means God loves you. In fact, the title of the message is he loves you too. Like also, like I know you think he loves that person, but you've got to believe today, he loves you too. He loves you as well. He loves you. And I want to show you by turning to scripture. 
So I got another question and I would love again, some, some participation. Who here knows something about their grandfather? Something. All right, put your hands down. Who here knows something about their great-grandfather? Okay, all right, all right. Who here knows something about their great-great-grandfather? Ramona, what do you know? He's from Spain. You know something. I don't know anything. (laughs) Anybody, three greats, great-great-great-grandfather knows something about that man. Great-great-great-grandfather. All right, and that's okay. There's no shame. I, I know something about my grandfather, but I can't tell you past that. Why do I bring that up? Because you and I today in 2023, we don't put a lot into knowing about our ancestors, our family tree. In fact, the most I, I've seen us do with family trees is when the school gives the kids an assignment to do a family tree. It's like, oh, great. Now we got to figure this out. <laughs> Who's your uncle again? <laughs> put the little flat, put the leaf up here. <laughs> like, that's when we start talking about it. I was talking to someone just last week and they did one of those ancestry swabs. You seen those? And, and they, they swabbed and they found out their ancestry. And it was like a surprise. I can't believe I've got this nationality in my story. Oftentimes we're surprised by our ancestors, by our family tree, our genealogy, because it's not something we talk a lot about. Now, we need to be transported for a moment into the first century, 2,000 years ago. There's a, there's a disconnect between today, hence why not all of our hands were up when I said great, great, great grandfather and the first century. So in the first century, your genealogy, who your grandpa was and his dad and his dad and his dad was everything. You gotta understand this, it was your resume. So you and I know about building a resume based on our achievements, our, our career, our education, Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. In the first century, you didn't do that. You said, yo, this is my dad. That's your dad? Yeah, and this is his dad. Really? Yeah, and his, you're hired. Just, <laughs> you showed up and you said, this is my dad. This is who's in my family story. You tracking with me? So in the first century, Matthew, who writes the first book of the New Testament, sits down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write about the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Matthew. And he sits down to write. And as he begins, he's moved by the Holy Spirit to start with what would be so essential to the first century audience. Because hello, we're not the first ones to have the Bible. This thing's 2,000 years old. I know we like to think it's all about us. It's not. We're gonna start with the first century. That's just good practice on how to read the Bible. So in the first century, when they would have received Matthew's writings, they would have known, okay, Matthew, tell us the genealogy of Jesus. Tell us who his dad was, his parents, his family tree. Give him some credibility. So Matthew sits down to write about Jesus and he starts with the genealogy, who who his family tree was. And I wanna show you today that who Matthew includes in the family tree proves God loves you too. There's room for you in the Christmas story. There's room for you in God's kingdom. So let me read, and then we're gonna get into this. Matthew chapter one, starting at verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. 
Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, just to bring clarity, as you're following along in your Bible, there's a whole lot more names listed there, but I didn't want to make a fool of myself on stage. So we condensed it a little bit, okay? And if you ever do what I do when I get to genealogies, you skip them, okay? So you're wondering, Pastor Keith, why are you reading the parts of the Bible that we skip? Because we shouldn't skip any of the parts of the Bible. And I know some parts are harder to understand and harder to track with and harder to apply, but we believe everything is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, one of the things that I'm praying for already in 2024 for our church is there would be, and I'm calling it an advancement in biblical literacy. In other words, I want to see our church understand the Bible more next year than ever before. That's why the first series we're doing starting in January is called How to Read the Bible. And we're just going to start. We're just going to just want to teach you how to read the Bible. Because if you will learn how to read the Bible, you will read the Bible more and God's word will change your life. So here's the genealogy, the part you've probably never read and it does not make it to any Christmas specials. So what is it doing here on Sunday morning? Well, while we skip it, Matthew's audience would not have skipped it. In fact, that's why it's first. They would have wanted to know right away, tell us about Jesus's family tree. Because if Matthew is going to try to convince first century listeners that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of God, then he better make sure his family tree is right. And he better try to give us the most credibility possible to believe in this Messiah. In other words, Matthew, you've got one job. Give us the best of the best to show us this family that the Messiah came from and we might believe you. And do you know what Matthew does? He screws it up. He doesn't give the best of the best. He tells the truth. And I know you can understand what I'm saying because some of you have lied on your resume before, haven't you? Or you've put down an old employer and you've also prayed at the same time, God, if you're real, please don't let them call him. In Jesus' name, if there's ever a time. Because you burned that bridge and that would not help you. You and I know how when we're telling our family stories to avoid the messy parts. Avoid the alcoholic uncle. Avoid the one who had the affair. Avoid the one who brought abuse to the family. We know how to pretty up our family stories in a way that if we were to show up and say, well, let me impress you a little bit with who I am, we would keep it as clean as possible. Not not telling the truth, but I don't have to tell you every part because fear of vulnerability and I don't want to risk it. Matthew breaks the genealogy rules. And if you notice that we've highlighted some people I want to talk about, their names are underlined. Matthew does something that no one or I should say rarely anyone did when they talked about genealogies. He includes women. Do you notice I asked you who your dad was and your grandpa was and your great grandpa? Because in the first century, you did not bring in the women into your family story. You spoke about the men. It's just the way society was. Matthew brings in not one, not two, not three, not four, but five women in Jesus's genealogy. My goodness, Matthew. They are gender outsiders. Not only that, some of them aren't even Jewish. They are racial outsiders. So they do not belong in this genealogy. In fact, one of them practiced it, practiced it. There you go. 
practiced pagan rituals, anti-God practices, and her name's up there. So, Matthew, what is your point in including these women? Now, you still don't seem convinced that these are some pretty bad checks. I want to help you. I want to help you. Let's read the first one. Matthew 1, 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, why do we have Judah? Many of you would know that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, the lion of Judah. That's great. Thanks for talking about Judah. Yeah, and by the way, Judah's kids were Perez and Zerah. Awesome. But Matthew, why did you include in parentheses whose mother was Tamar? Oh, you don't remember the story? <laughs> you guys don't know the story. So Tamar tricks her father-in-law Judah into having sex with her so she could have those babies. A little weird. A little weird. Yeah. Let's skip that one. Give us another one, Matthew. Okay, Matthew 1.5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so you're still talking about Salmon and Boaz. We've heard of Boaz. You're going to talk a little bit more about him. Well, whose mom was his? Rahab? Rahab has a nickname. Anyone know Rahab's nickname? Rahab the prostitute. We don't sing about her and Blaze kids, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> Parents, we sing Father Abraham. We do not, not sing Mother Rahab ever. That song will not be sung over. Have many men. I don't even know how we would sing that. I mean, we don't sing that one. We don't talk about that. Matthew, what are you doing? Why are you bring? Why are you doing this to Christmas? Matthew 1.6. David was the father of Solomon. All right, we got someone good now. Now we got King David. You've heard of David and Goliath, the good man. His mother had been Uriah's wife. And why doesn't Matthew include her name? He knows her name. He knows her. If you don't, her name is Bathsheba. Scholars believe the reason why Matthew does not include her name is because he is intentionally reminding the readers of what David did to Uriah's wife. Oh, King David, so great, yeah. Who also saw Uriah's wife, slept with her, got her pregnant, killed Uriah to cover it up, and then married her thinking that would fix the problem. Great King David. Matthew, why are you bringing all these women to the front of the story? How about this? David was the, the father of Solomon, did I skip Ruth? I think I skipped Ruth, right, Tara? Yeah, let's go back to verse five. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Oh, we got the wrong verse. That's why we screwed up the whole Bible. The whole sermon's ruined, guys. I'm sorry. Just, I don't know what verse it is. They just keep that one up. Thanks, Tara. Oh, Obed was, <laughs> Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite. Now, this is crazy. Ruth gets a book of the Bible named after her. One of the only, a few women get a book of the Bible named after them in the Old Testament, Ruth and Esther. Ruth wasn't Jewish. Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites were the enemies of the Jewish people. The Moabites sacrificed their children to Molech in hopes that he would give them blessing. And she gets in there. And then we got Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, which is great. And maybe you come from a religious background, Holy Mother Mary, but let's not forget 
Mary would have been seen as the teen mom who got pregnant out of wedlock, liable and justified to be murdered. So what we have here is not the prettiest picture of a family. We don't get the best of the best. Matthew starts off telling us, let me introduce you to the Messiah. Where does he come from? Let me show you who's a part of his story. Why would Matthew do this? Matthew has a point, and here's the point. God loves you. Yes, you. God can use you. Yes, you. The genealogy shows us that it is not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. Everyone is in only by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you shouldn't skip genealogies. That's why you should study scripture. That's why you should know some of the stories of these people because we can pretty up Christianity. And maybe for you today, a barrier to even getting here was, but what will they think of me? And I'm not good enough and I don't belong here. None of those women belonged in the genealogy. I read this quote. In Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals. That's the gospel. That is this message of hope that has so many in this room and in this world giving praise during an Advent season, saying, because of the arrival of Jesus, I am loved. I am invited. God has a plan for me. God's love changes everything. We sang a couple songs this morning and there was a repeated line in them. Come and behold him. Come and behold him. Do you know why you can come and behold him? Because he came for you because he loves you. You and I don't make our way to the manger with pretty stories. Those women didn't make their way into the Christmas story because they were deserving of it. And they weren't so far gone, so disqualified that God couldn't say, I can use you. I can do something with your life. Would you surrender to me? I thought out of the genealogy writers, which we get in Matthew and Luke, there's four New Testament books that tell us in detail the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke talk about genealogy. Matthew focuses so much on these women more than Luke does. And I thought, why would Matthew do that? Why not leave it to somebody else? And then I had this thought, Matthew probably did it because Matthew understood it, possibly more than any of the other disciples. Do you know Matthew's nickname? He was a tax collector. Some of you hate tax collectors. I understand but not for the same reasons. <laughs> In this first century, a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector was seen as a traitor to the Jewish people. It was one who was now working with the Romans, the ruling empire. They were notorious for being thieves. They were told just collect the tax, but after that, take as much as you want. And there's no limit on what you ask of people. So could you imagine going up to Matthew and you're Jewish and he's siding with Rome and he's saying, well, your property tax is this, but I'm gonna need like 10 times more. Th th these are these guys. They're not the ones that you have over for dinner later that night. So Matthew writes 
the genealogy. And Matthew remembers the day where he maybe wondered if he was loved by God. And here's what Matthew writes about himself in Matthew 9.9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. I wonder what it was like for Matthew to write about his story. If you journal, you might know this. What is it like to write about the moments where God intersects your story and changes things? And Matthew's writing, there was this day when Jesus was walking by. He saw me. He saw Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And here's his words. Don't forget them. We're going to come back. Say them with me. Follow me. Follow me. It's the first things out of his mouth. Not, look at you. What have you done? Sit up straight. Get your life together. You're not good enough. No, 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 no. Follow me. Fo follow me. We're gonna talk about that. And be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And do you know what Matthew does next? Matthew throws a party. We're gonna see it in this, these next verses. Matthew later that day throws a party. Now, remember who Matthew was. Matthew was a tax collector. So Matthew's friends are not outstanding citizens. Just leave it at that. They're tax collectors. There's prostitutes. There's sinners. This is the kind of house party that you would probably never go to. And do you know who does? Jesus. Jesus is there. And you know who else sees what's going on at that house party? In fact, they might've called the police for a noise violation, probably. <laughs> it's just too loud coming from Matthew's house again. The religious. Look what the religious say. It says, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, watch the words. And Matthew wrote them because he remembers them. They stung. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Maybe you felt like that before. Maybe today that low self-esteem is the number one barrier for you receiving God's love. Yeah, but I just, I just feel like, like scum. I feel like I got no worth. I got no value. Why would anybody want me? Look what I've done with my life. And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Do you understand that the good news of the gospel is good because it first confronts us and offends us and tells us we're not good enough? That's, that's the heart. You are wrong in your sins and loved in the Savior. Jesus says, I came for those who know. That's a confession know that I'm undeserving of the love of God, but it is his work of grace in my heart that I can call him savior. Jesus says to those who think they are righteous, I'm not here for you anyway. I'm here for those who know they need me, are desperate for my love. Today, if you could just know this truth, God loves you. He is not ashamed of you. In fact, Jesus came to remove your shame. I love that line of that song that we sang, greater still, when I was naked, when I had no covering, when I had no ability to cover up because my good deeds won't do it, you clothed me in righteousness. His righteousness. God's not ashamed of you today. He loves you and he's got a good plan for your life. In fact, the author 
of Hebrews says it this way. So now Jesus and the one he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. How would that truth change your life today? Jesus says, look, there's my brother. There's my sister. They're clothed in my righteousness. I love them. So this love frees us to do two things. We gotta do something now. There's a response. There's love being given, but how do we respond to that love? Two things. The first, you already said it. When you get close to the love of God, do you know what your response should be? Follow me. Follow me. God, lean in for a second. Don't miss this, okay? God's love for you, his great love for you is not the great excuse that you've been looking for to continue living in sin. It's not. God loves me. He understands. Actually, he understands that that's not good for you. He's got a better plan for you. But the path to freedom starts in God's love and we follow him. And to follow Jesus means we surrender to his ways. He becomes Lord and Savior now. He starts to set the parameters for what it looks like in your relationships, in your time, in your forgiveness towards others, in your finances, in all of it, your thought patterns. He starts to set the standard now because you're following him. But just don't forget, you're following him because he loved you. He loved you first. You didn't have to gain his love to start following him. No, no, he loves you. And now that love says, okay, follow me. Here's the second thing it says, love others. We are loved by God to love others. In fact, I think it's John, he, he writes that you can't even claim that you love God if you don't love someone else. You haven't seen the love of God yet if you can't love your brother and sister that you can see. Love others. Jesus said in his, to his disciples, a new command I give you, love others one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I would ask you, Blaze Church, who are you loving this holiday season? Because God loves you. Who are you loving? Because God loves you. Not who are you loving because they deserve it or because it's easy to love them or because you get along with them or because you vote the same way or because you track on the same social. No, none of that. Who do you love simply because God loves you? and you are supposed to love them. Wow, that's hard. Who this season, the back of the room, we got a few more of these on that table. Who are you writing a card to this week to invite them out to Christmas service with you next Sunday because you love them because God loves you? Who, who is, you've got to know because we don't just receive his love to keep his love. We receive his love to show his love. We show his love. So I, I just believe this, crazy enough to believe it. Christians should be the most loved and the most loving people in the world. There shouldn't be any other, there shouldn't be any other group of people that are the most loved and the most loving. Because after all, we know if Tamar, if Rahab, if Ruth, if Bathsheba, if Mary, then Keith than you. You and I know this truth, and so we should be loving. Now, 
Who needs help with this? Every hand goes up. Come on, this is a free one. Who needs help? We all need help. So I wanna pray for you. Would you bow your heads? The worship team's gonna join me. We're gonna sing a song that reminds us of our King and who he is, but I wanna pray. And if you would be so bold as I will be, if you really want God's help in loving others and receiving his love, would you raise your hand as we pray this morning? It's a sign of surrender. God, here we are saying we need you. First saying thank you that this genealogy shows us that it's not the good who are in and the bad who are out, but rather we are all here because of your love, your grace. You are the King of Kings and we praise you today. We ask for your help. This one's not easy. In fact, during the holiday season, it can be even harder for us to love. We're gonna be around some family we don't normally see. We're gonna be in stressful environments, in the store, at home. We need your love. Help us love others. God, I wanna pray specifically for the person who is struggling to know they're loved by you. I pray that this morning they would go home knowing I'm loved by God. I'm, I'm a child of the King. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother, his sister. And may that truth change us and may we follow you and may we love you and others well. In Jesus' name, amen.